This is Rising Up with Sonali and I'm your host Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. President Joe Biden, after months of pressure from advocacy groups and developing nation governments, announced that he supports the waiving of intellectual property rights for COVID-19 vaccines. The governments of India and South Africa last October requested that the 1995 TRIPS agreement at the World Trade Organization be suspended for the vaccines so countries can begin mass producing them. TRIPS stands for the Trade-Related Aspects of Intellectual Property Rights. While Moderna has announced it would not enforce its patent, other pharmaceutical producers of COVID vaccines, such as AstraZeneca and Pfizer, have vehemently opposed waiving intellectual property rights, even though taxpayers shelled out much of the investment into developing the vaccines. The issue has taken on great urgency as the virus spreads like wildfire across India and other Asian nations. Opponents of waiving the rights claim that the developing world simply does not have access to the expertise, raw materials or factories needed to mass-produce vaccines on their own. Today, we'll speak with one expert who's pushing back against such arguments. Walden Bellow is an international adjunct professor of sociology at the State University of New York at Binghamton and co-chairperson of the Bangkok-based Research and Advocacy Institute Focus on the Global South. He's the author or co-author of 25 books, including Counter-Revolution, The Global Rise of the Far Right, and the winner of the Right Livelihood Award for his work on corporate-driven globalization. He just published a guest opinion column in the New York Times on May 5th entitled The West Has Been Hoarding More Than Vaccines. He now joins me from Manila in the Philippines. Welcome to the program, Walden Bello. Thank you for inviting me, Sanli. So first, let's start with the uh, arguments that we're hearing from the pharmaceutical industry and its allies about the dangers of waiving these intellectual property rights for COVID vaccines. There's numerous arguments. One of the arguments that they're giving is that it's not really the intellectual property rights that are standing in the way because Moderna has already said that it wouldn't enforce its um, intellectual property rights and no one has, no other company has actually begun manufacturing Moderna vaccines. The real issue is that there are supplies that are limited and supply chains are difficult and there aren't enough factories and quality control is something that we can't rely on, et cetera, et cetera. How do you respond to those arguments? Well, I think uh, these arguments are really quite spurious. Uh, in terms of Moderna saying it's not going to quarrel with intellectual property rights if other people obtain them. That's no assurance that that it would not do so because there are these trade-related intellectual property rights which are quite strict. And just because Moderna says that it's not going to fight it if others uh, use uh, its, its patents and its processes, that's no guarantee. That's why nobody touches these things unless there is an official government waiver. And Moderna knows that, okay? And Pfizer knows that. And all of these people know that, uh, that any move by a developing country manufacturer to touch patents without a waiver is going to bring the whole legal system of international law uh, under trips down on them. And, and that's why even after patents have elapsed after 20 years, unless there are really specific um, waivers or guarantees 
which are guaranteed by governments, uh, there's a great deal of hesitation because of the power of this company. So that's, that, that's, that's, that's one. The second thing is it's not at all true, you know, that supplies, uh, raw materials and processes are going to be really complicated. In fact, what the South Africa and India waiver proposals is that it's not only patents, but diagnostics, treatment, and technological processes that would, in fact, be lifted. That's that's what those two countries are asking for at the WTO. They don't just want the patents, they want the processes. Yeah, processes and, you know, so that's the... So that's also a spurious argument, you know, that's going on there. And there are this vaccination manufacturing facilities in Brazil, Thailand, and India that have tremendous capacity so long as these processes get to them. This supply chain, lack of raw materials, uh, you know, this uh, repurposing is going to be very difficult for of vaccination facilities. I think that's just been disproven uh, by, uh, you know, in the course of the debate over the last eight months. So if these people uh, had not been standing in the way since last October, we would not have this supply problem right now. You know, so basically, they're saying that, hey, uh, you know, you can't solve the supply problem when in fact, they have created the supply problem by refusing to budge on this issue for the last eight months. So uh, we're losing uh, time. What about India? You brought up India, which is right now the epicenter of the crisis, the global pandemic uh, crisis. India has its own vaccine, Covaxin, and then it's also producing the AstraZeneca vaccine known as Covishield. So why does India need uh, the property rights to be waived on vaccines when it has its own homegrown vaccine and is already partnering to produce the AstraZeneca vaccine? You've got to realize that those are only two uh, vaccine manufacturing uh, companies, okay? But there are other, uh, you know, quite a number of other vaccine manufacturers in India that are producing other vaccines and, and not the COVID-19 vaccine. So repurposing those other manufacturers, you know, uh, is going to bring about a lot to resolve the supply problem. There are about 10 to 15 other big manufacturers over there. It's a question of repurposing their vaccine facilities to COVID-19 vaccines. Then there's Thailand, then there's South Africa, then there's Brazil, and there are a number of other countries that have already set up their pharmaceutical um, infrastructure uh, over the last two decades. So it's not at all a valid argument. It will take a couple of weeks, if not, you know, maybe a month or two months or what. But you've got to start because you're running against time. More and more people are not going to have access to vaccines over the next several months. So you have to start right now. The industry, people are just... uh, creating all of this nonsense in order to hold on to their cash cows, which are the patents and the processes of manufacturing that are tied up with them.
Right. I mean, the companies are saying that um, that that it will stifle future innovation to share uh, patents. But of course, they fail to mention the fact that the tax dollars, billions and billions of tax dollars from the residents of Western nations like the U.S. have, have been poured into uh, creating these vaccines. And any future emergency where we desperately need vaccines would have a similar investment. So that question of innovation seems certainly a moot point. It's not only because 12 billion has been invested in them by Iran, the citizens of countries in the North. The problem is that they make this argument that it's, uh, it's going to stifle innovation. Now, if you look at all of those drug companies, where is more of the money going? Most of the money is going to marketing. It's not going to innovation. It's going to marketing okay, and to executive pay. The poor proportion of their revenues going to innovation is quite small at this point in time because what they actually do is they have, they have a monopoly on a certain product and they, they over 20 years that they have guaranteed monopoly on that that's where they promote they really push marketing that's that's where the money goes burla the albert burla the head ceo of pfizer he makes something like about, about 21.4 million dollars in a pay compensation a year mm-hmm. including salaries and stock options pascal sorio of seneca uh, making the same amounts. You you have Albert Gorsky uh, of Johnson and Johnson. Uh, you know uh, you know making the same very much of the same amounts of around twenty one to twenty two twenty three million. So and they've got highly paid executive staff. So basically, these are the people, multimillionaires, the one percent in the world, who are making raking it in because of the monopoly on drugs drug production that are really the, the, the big problems. It's, it's just like the illegal drugs cartel, you know, except this one, they monopolize intellectual property rights. I think we really need to show the real face of these guys. These are rubber barons, okay? And, and I think the world should not stand for it. And I'm glad that the Biden administration decided to go against this uh, uh, members of the 1% that are right and i want to i want to get to the i want to get to uh biden's position in just a moment but i i do want to bring up another one of the arguments from the pharmaceutical companies and that is one of of trust now some have said that this is a very condescending argument to suggest that uh companies producing vaccines in the global south might not get it right but we've seen that even with the johnson and johnson vaccine and even the astrazeneca vaccine that even a very very rare case of blood clots among women of a certain age has um, reduced the trust, the public trust in these vaccines so much that a majority of people now don't trust them. Do you think it's valid, uh, this argument that uh, that if they share the patents, that there might be counterfeits on the market that could reduce trust in vaccines? Uh, no, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I really think that's just a red herring that they're setting up there. I, I mean, and it's, uh, as you said, it's a condescending argument you know that if you give an Indian manufacturer, Brazilian manufacturer, who have been uh, already flagged through the licensing processes within their own countries, that those people are going to somehow uh, screw up in the manufacturing. I mean, this is all speculative, and it's against the record in which um, many of these 
manufacturers have been producing generics for years and they've succeeded uh, in in fact producing uh, stuff that's as good uh, if not better than the uh, original brands it's one of these um, arguments that uh, they throw up because they're so desperate like they even say that the whole thing rn uh, h um, messenger rna mrna uh, the messenger rna has bioweapons potential and yet that's been discredited as an argument in fact uh, you know the viral vector and the, the traditional way of med, uh, making uh, uh, vaccines uh, has more biosecurity potential than the uh, messenger rna a lot of studies have already, in fact, shown that. So they have such a cash cow going for them. Pfizer is going to be making $15 billion this year, okay? Uh, even just in sales in the northern countries. So it's sheer greed. So let's talk about the Biden administration. Many people were heartened and, and were comparing the uh, waiving of uh, intellectual property rights on COVID-19 vaccines to what happened two decades ago with the HIV um, medication um, that the U.S. administration at that time refused to waive the patents for. Now, Europe is standing in the way. So is the U.K. They're refusing to join Biden in agreeing to waive the intellectual property rights uh, and the WTO process, uh, I understand, is a consensus process. So it does require everyone to be on board. Can Biden's position influence Europe and the UK? Well, I think it's going to be a lot, you know, a, a lot of it is going to be moral pressure coming from uh, their citizens. I think if you look at the way that legislators Europe parliamentarians, notable scientists have been stepping forward to say, let's support the waiver. I, I think citizen pressure is going to count uh, in this instance. And how long the EU and the UK stand in the way are going to be determined by citizen pressure. But uh, let's face it, the WTO operates by consensus. But if there is no consensus that can be reached, there is the fallback position of 75% of the members of the WTO uh, can override, uh, can in fact push through an initiative. So, so they can vote if there's 75% support. Yeah, mm -hmm. if it has 75% support, uh, it can push through. Of course, the ideal is consensus and they try to maintain that. But to a large extent, if the developing countries, if the, you know, the, the uh, 100 sponsors and the United States uh, really, really push it, and I think they can, uh, they can override uh, the opposition if it comes to a vote. But uh, as I say, uh, the ideal is consensus, and I think that's what they're still trying to do at this point. The moral pressure coming from the citizens of the North of the EU and others is going to be very central uh, in this case. And Pope Francis has already come out and said he supports uh, Biden in his position on the waiver. So there's certainly a moral authority there. 
Well, yes. Wal- Walden Bello, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, really a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much. And we'll post a link to your op-ed in the New York Times from our website. Thank you very much. I've been speaking with Walden Bello, International Adjunct Professor of Sociology at the State University of New York at Binghamton and co-chairperson of Focus on the Global South. His recent op-ed in the New York Times was entitled, The West Has Been Hoarding More Than Vaccines. He was speaking to me from Manila in the Philippines. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. We're online at risingupwithsonali.com where you can sign up for our newsletter. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify.